to organize, and he, that was her particular ministry. Now, in the Romans, several names are mentioned. For instance, and Paul is so tender towards these people. For instance, in the, uh, uh, his greeting with people, for instance, uh, chap uh, in the chapter 16, verse 5, greet Mary, who has worked hard among you. Uh, the technical term, working hard, is apostolic ministry. She was missionary. This Mary, about whom we don't know anything, except that her name is mentioned, she was a great missionary in that area around the Rome. Because whenever he uses this particular term, working hard, copiao, it means she is involved in missionary activities. And then several other women are mentioned in this respect. Now, the, this is all introduction to the major problem. The major text, the major problems about position of the women in the church, ministry of women in the church, is definitely First Corinthians. First Corinthians. You have a chapter 11, and you have a chapter 14 of the First Corinthians. And uh, uh, I think what I would like to do before the break, to be equated with text, and then continue, and then questions to come, uh, if it is, uh, uh, because we can continue a little bit longer simply to keep continuity with this particular subject. Now, uh, you will be reading chapter 11, probably to, while the other people will be drinking coffee, <laughs> you, you, will be, you will be reading chapter 11 to be acquainted with the text. And uh, in this chapter, I have to say, it is the most complicated, the most involved, the most difficult chapter, if not in the all Pauline epistle, at least in the epistle to Corinthians. The most difficult, the most involved, and the most complicated. It is due to the very fact that Paul has to say so many things in this chapter. This chapter says something on the surface. And this chapter has its own subtext that really is the basis for understanding what he has to say here. We have, first of all, to discover this subtext, because the text itself is not enough. And that subtext comes from the tradition, from the tradition. And that subtext is known to people and should be known to the people because it is so eloquently expressed so many centuries before St. Paul appeared on the scene. And that subtext is the one of the most distinctive character of the Jewish and Christian religion, that subtext. That is the story of creation. I used to teach a course creation story in various religious traditions. And I was surprised doing research, preparing lecture for this course, 
how very story in one particular religious tradition reveals distinctive character of that tradition. Very, if I understand creation story of the book Genesis 1 and 2, I know what is the major character of this historical religion and of this particular tradition that we are considering as our own. So uh, the same when I'm reading Babylonian mythology. I know profound differences between this story of creation and Babylonian myth and so on and so forth, or Greek story, Timaeus, or Enuma Elish, or, or Upanishads, Hindu, or, all are different, but all are beautiful, and we have to enter them to understand. Saint Paul loved, absolutely loved. Saint Paul was imbued. Saint Paul was overwhelmed by three chapters of the book of Genesis. Chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. And some people suggested, if some graduate students, if they like to write a good PhD thesis, simply to take chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, book Genesis in the letters of Paul and produce something very important. And there, because sometimes it is not on the surface, it is a subtext. And the subtext of the chapter, First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 11, is definitely traditional story of the Genesis. Genesis is so important, particularly Genesis chapter 2. Now, then another difficulties of the whole matter, not only that you have here uh, Genesis in the question, traditional account of creation, but you have a cultural environment in which he moves. You have a cultural influences. Corinth is known by many mystery cults, particularly mystery Egyptian Queen Isis. So what is the role of the woman there? How they behave there? And what Paul would like to Christian women to behave? And to all this is the question of order in liturgical gathering. Paul, charismatic leader as he was, was so much concerned about the order in liturgical gathering. And he definitely likes to put accent, because the chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, they're all speaking about certain disorder, and he likes to teach them how it should be done. As I taught you, didn't you forget it, and so on and so forth. So this is a problem, this absolutely problem. All these three elements are combined together in one chapter, and there are something unspoken. There are certain images from the ancient culture which convey to the people of that culture tendency towards something else, and Paul is rather hesitant, but like to point it out. And he also indicates it. And then he comes to the chapter 14, and you find that he negates everything what he said in chapter 11. The woman prophesies church, chapter 14. Woman should keep quiet in the church. Now, how to do it with that problem? So that is a, we need a cup of coffee to do it. Let me say a few words about Genesis 2 
You know that at the end of Genesis 1, God created man in man, and God created them, male, male and female. It is simultaneous creation. And it is done at the very end as a crown, crown of God's creation. So in other words, male and female are created the last according Genesis chapter 1. Male and female are created after mosquitoes. <laughs> so, so in other words, Dorda doesn't exist here who is first and who is last. The last one is absolutely the crown. That is in the then we come to Genesis 2. So in other words, there are cre cre simultaneous creation in the Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, Adam was created first. And then when Adam felt very lonely, it was so difficult to be alone. Then out of rib of Adam, God created woman. Now, the account about Adam is rather short and dull. Account about woman is a much longer and more exciting. Uh, it is in mythological thought, it's extremely important that woman was created out of a rib of Adam. Woman was not created out of the foot of Adam. Then it would be subjugation. Woman is not created out of the head of Adam. Then she would be superior. But a woman was created out of a rib of Adam. It means, uh, I, was, I was told that in some countries in the Middle East, if you like to say that somebody is your good friend, you can say, he's my rib. Uh, it means that man and woman, two images of God, are walking together with one another. Only when you have this proposition with one another, then you have a community. Without it, the, in other words, the first ideal community between, it was created already in paradise, man and woman, two images of God, are being created and walking together with one another. Now, the second account of Genesis story is important for the following reason. Man and woman are distinct but equal. They are both creation of God. Now, here that woman was created after man if we keep in mind what it means in the Genesis 1, that we are created after mosquitoes, doesn't make any importance. So distinction. What is particularly significant for St. Paul when he is using as a subtext for discussion in the uh, Corinthians chapter 11 is distinction between sexes is as utterly important. At the same time, he defends equality of the sexes. But distinction and equality of the sexes must go together. Now, let me read the, uh, this uh, passage that 
definitely has subtext Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And the verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head because he is the image and glory of God, and woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And skip the verse 10, about which we speak a little bit later. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, no man or woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. No, there is absolute mutuality. Judge, not judge for yourself. Is it proper for woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Now, the term that St. Paul uses in this chapter, that Christ, for instance, every man, uh, but, I but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of a woman is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. The key meaning of the word head. Uh, St. Paul is, not, is using the term kephali. Kephali, which means head. Kephali has two meanings. Origin or source. Origin or source. Christ has source in God. Then a woman has its source in man. This, that is precisely what Genesis tells us that the source of woman is, and the head of woman, source, original woman, is the rib of Adam. So if you use this term, head, as a source or origin, then you have a definite application of Genesis chapter 2 to, to, uh, uh, to the first Corinthians. So to speak, as a, when you speak, man is the head of woman, according to Paul here, the man is the source. Man is the source of woman. Man is the origin of woman because the woman was created by man. So this subtext of Genesis chapter 2 helps St. Paul to establish very important point. And that is at the time when distinction between sexes in the Corinthian spirituality was trying to be obliterated. And this obliteration is very well known to the writers of this particular period. And then, when we go a little bit later on, uh, verses, if, a, if any man who prays or prophesies with his head covers, covered dishonor his head, and any woman who prays and prophesies with her head unveiled dishonors her head, now, what does it mean? It simply means that head is used here in literal and not, metaphor, met, not metaphorical sense. The head, kephali, is used in the verses 3 and 7 in metaphorical sense as the source and origin. Head in chapter, verses 4 and 5 is used in literal sense. Any man 
who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. What really Greek said, if every man to have something hanging down from the head, something hanging down from his head, long hair according to the Philo of Alexandria and some Roman writers of the first century, if to long hair is paid special attention, curling, and particular way of doing it is the sign as the tendency towards homosexuality. Paul, you see, this is a, a first century. In our century, absolutely, that doesn't mean anything. But we have to understand what is meant, what is the tendency. Now, Paul is not at ease to speak a bit openly. He's absolutely not at ease. We see here in this particular chapter that he's trying to restrain himself, right? And he simply, any man who has something hanging down from his head, he, that's a long hair, is made in a particular way that he sometimes doesn't approve. And any woman, any woman that does not cover her hair, dishevel hair, that is usually used in the mystery cults, right? Dishevel, absolutely no order, is like shaven, shaven hair, and that is prostitute in the port and the Corinth. So, in other words, hair means something much more than, so now, therefore, Man should not cover his hair. Man should not curl beautifully his hair. He must get rid of it. And woman must cover her hair. Now the question is, what is the real meaning of this covering? The very term veil did not use, was not used, the term veil. But certain covering must be done. Certain covering. So in other words, woman must put her hair in a such an order that she will not provoke angels during liturgical gathering. That was interesting. Because according to the ancient belief, and even St. John Christopher, angelic power participates in the worship of the church. Angelic power takes care about the order of the church. Not only bishop and priest, but even angelic power don't like to, nobody to be disturbed. If you have disheveled hair and particular head to put on your hair and so on and so forth, you disturb the people around. So, in other words, Paul is very keen about this particular point. But the question is, what is covering? I would say, if, yeah, if, Paul, if Paul was asked this particular question, he, I would say, I don't really care. She can put any whale on the hair. Or, or, he would say, as he said in the verses, in the verses uh, 15, for hair, hair is given to her for covering. What does it mean? Hair, hair was given to her. In the, if you look at the Roman coins, Roman coins, Roman woman, she has a long hair. 
and she's binding up this hair all around her head and at the top that is hair covering. That is hair covering. Because the hair put in a such order, right? And therefore she covers her. It is not the short hair, it is not short hair, it is not long hair, but hair must be put in a particular order. So Paul deals with this problem in order to introduce the discipline in the Christian worship. To his fighting towards tendency to certain homosexuality. Homosexuality, according to him, is obliteration, distinction of sexes. Obliteration of distinct sex. And at the same time, he likes to make a perfect distinction between sexes, between male and female, at the same time to defend their equality before the Lord. That is, a, that is all, and the women in Corinthian church were able to teach, to teach and to prophesize. Prophecy is a particular form of the teaching. But in the chapter 14, we find something that destroy everything I tried to say in the chapter 11 in the, as a polite Now let us read chapter 14. Chapter 14. Uh, chapter 14, verse 34. Um, uh, the woman, women should keep silence in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as even the law says. She quotes probably the law interpretation story. You will suffer because of that. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husband at home. Some husband loves this particular saying very much. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. What did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Now, this passage is, very, is absolute negation what he said in chapter 11. Absolute negation about the women. Because they are prophesy, they teach, they are participating in the liturgical life of the church there. And here I said, a silence. How could you teach and be silent at the same time? I sometimes prefer to silence to teaching, but what you can do. Now, this passage presented a really stumbling block for many, many exegetes. The first, the easiest solution of this problem is to say simply, Paul did not write it, it is interpolation. And I think that is very dangerous solution, absolutely dangerous. Whatever you, whatever, whatever you dislike, whatever you dislike, whatever doesn't correspond to your own idea and uh, uh, to, uh, about what ha should be said, you said it is interpolation. You know, some scribes write, writing it, and they put on the margin. And later, scribes said, what is on the margin? Let us put in, and so forth. So I reject that. That is a lazy solution. The laziest solution in the world is to say it is interpolation. I think we have to insist 
that Paul did it, that Paul wrote it, and we have to find the reason what he tried to say with this particular passage. Second solution is more subtle. Now, First Corinthians is a letter that tells us that people in Corinth had a lots of fun, and people, uh, and uh, and Paul had a lots of trouble with them, and Paul has communicating with them through letters, and Paul received certain letters from them, and we know it. Whenever you find in the First Corinthians opening statement concerning things that you wrote to me, you can be sure what follows then, it is almost quotation from that letter. And then, concerning spiritual gifts that you wrote to me, concerning the food offered to idols, idols don't exist, therefore I may eat whatever I like. And I said, Paul, all right, you are right in your theology, but you are not right in your behavior because you don't have a love for your brother who doesn't think the same things to you. In the, for the, in the, for the, in, to help your brother, you should abstain from it. So, now, so many people say, let us apply the same principles here in this letter. Paul, because there are two groups in the church in Corinth, one, libertines, complete freedom, without any obligation. Another is conservative. One group tries to embrace as much as possible and to be assimilated. Another group is really, let us create ourselves in our own isolation, complete isolation. And then the group that Paul received from the church in Corinth, this letter, women should not speak in the church. Women should be quiet. Women should be subordinate. And the woman, if she has some question to ask, let her ask her, her husband. And then Paul answered, what? Did the word of God originate with you? No, very attractive. Paul doesn't agree with it. What? Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? It didn't reach to me. Now, it's extremely attractive theory. But even that solution really doesn't answer all questions. So there's a third one, and always the last one is the better, better one. Now, when you read carefully this chapter, uh, chapter 14 of the First Corinthians, Paul criticizes prophets, first of all, Paul criticizes people who speak glossolalia. You know what is glossolalia. So we are lucky that nobody speaks to us in these meetings glossolalia because we would not be able to understand anything, right? Some people, now, some people are moved by the Spirit. And Paul himself said, I am moved by the Spirit and I speak glossolalia, but I don't speak it in the public meeting. I speak it in my own chamber. And, but it's better to speak five words that everybody understands than lots of glossolalia that nobody understands. So in this chapter 14, Paul, first of all, speaks about the people who speak glossolalia. So that let us put order one to speak, if you have interpreter. And then interpreter will come and tell us what you said. And then you speak, then 
he criticized the prophets. When one prophet gets up and speaks, let the other be silent. For, and he precisely using term silent. Let the face, when the second comes, let the face, let us not argue. You know, one prophet said something, another prophet said something that might look different. Don't stop arguing. Let us be silent. So he criticized the people, glossolalists, prophets, and then he criticized women. Now, let us see what he really means in this particular passage. The woman should keep silence. The Greek term, Greek term, gini, gini, means both wife and woman. Wife and woman. And context definitely determines that in this particular passage, it means wife. It means wife. Because, uh, let ask your husband at home. So who, who was that woman? That is his wife. So the wife should keep silence in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate. There was a custom in the church in Corinth. When the one prophet speaks, that some others would interfere him. And also there was a really some examples from the outside literature that confirms that there was a lot of disputes. Even wife likes to interfere of that, that particular prophet trying to correct him. Did you notice when you're telling stories in front of your husband, right? Or your husband telling stories, and you're always prone to say, no, not, not in that way. There was a little bit different. There was the absolutely is happening all the time. And the prophet gets up, speaks, and I said, but you have forgotten this thing to say. Why didn't you? We spoke about it before. You forgot it. And then Paul said, please, be silent when he speaks. Don't speak in the church. If you have any question, ask him when you come home. So in other words, situation here is completely different than in the first uh, uh, chapter 11. There is no dispute that woman is not allowed to speak, but woman is not allowed to speak and to interfere when somebody else is speaking, because God is the God of order and not God of chaos, as Paul would say. So I find no, no, no contradiction, because what Father Michael always told us and repeats and absolutely is right. Let us keep things in the context. Let us see what is the background, what is the cradle of these things, what is the situation that demands this particular expression. So, so we are look, we are little bit, look, we are wiser. We find contradiction of Paul as Paul did not see this contradiction. So Paul wrote chapter 11, and he, when he came to the chapter 14, he forgot everything that he wrote in the chapter 11. No, no. Situation is completely different in this particular context. Therefore, Paul is greatest. We have a few questions. Paul is the greatest liberator of women in the ancient world. He is not anti-feminist, and therefore, he should be praised for his daring courage because he has a problem to deal with the mystery cults, 
with the religiosity of the people at that particular time. He has the problem to deal with the influences in Corinthian church of all these ideas. He is particularly concerned about beauty and order in the churches. And I'm always surprised, pleasantly surprised, how much he takes care about the beauty and order of the worship. Because people say, but he's a charismatic leader, he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. No, he, for instance, in the end of the chapter 11, when he speaks about uh, the, uh, about the whale, he also speaks, it is the custom of the churches that this particular order should be established. That wife must have put in order some covering. So he doesn't care which covering, but some covering. Whether it is a way how hair is arranged, or whether it is a veil, but veil is not mentioned. Veil is not important. And let us not take veil as something that is de demanded by divine providence. I remember once in a Chicago church. I went to Chicago and a friend of mine was priest in one particular church community and uh, I spent the night uh, in his, with him and talking and uh, to, uh, in, um, Sunday morning we are going to get the liturgy. He went to altar. I entered the church, kissed the icons and went on the left side. After five, ten minutes, after five, ten minutes, a boy from Alta came, said, Professor Kessich, father so-and-so, ask you to change the side. <laughs> and then I look at that, oh, on the other side, all men, on the other side, all women. So you have a division. So in other words, in some churches, so complete distinction, right, between sexes, even in that particular way. So. It is very interesting, but uh, I think if you find the mixture of the churches, it's also very proper and very, very much in order. Right? So I know that it uh, would be interesting how, uh, uh, for instance, in the uh, churches that the Father Michael has to deal, is that they are men, yes, right, right. And here in the churches, you know, that it was a Serbian church, uh, very, very ancient, church, and, uh, but they still keep order. Some other Serbian churches, absolutely, you sit where you find the place. So there is no. Now, now it, there was a, another passage in the first Timothy, which uh, which deals also with the woman. But this passage, woman, for instance, in the chapter 2, verse 8, I desire then that in every place the man should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. Also that women should adore themselves modestly and sensibly in seeming apparel with the braided hair or gold or pearls. Uh, a ghostly attire, but by good deeds as befits the woman who profess religion. Then let a woman learn in silence with all submissiveness. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority of a man. She is to keep silent, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, 
and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became transgressor. Yet woman will be saved through bearing the children if she continues in faith and love and holiness with modesty. It's a completely different situation here. It is a, we can't go into now, probably I will spend about five, ten minutes tomorrow about this particular passage. Situation is the danger of Gnostic heresy here. Gnostic heresy. And uh, Paul is afraid uh, the, the term to teach uh, can refer to not simply act of the teaching, but the content of the teaching. Content of the about the marriages and so on. The women, these Gnostic heretics forbid marriages and all this. All this is given here. So in other words, it is not repetition of what St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's a completely different situation. It is a fight, and the women were prey of these Gnostic heretics, and therefore Paul, has, uh, the, the author of the First Timothy, tries to stop it. So the environment, the conditions, and the Subtext here is completely different. Context is completely different than the others. So therefore, to have a, a right picture about the women in the church, the ministry of the church, we must know not only the text, but we now know what is behind the text and what is the environment situation, historical situation of the church in that particular time to which letter was being addressed. So any question about it? As I was listening to you, I was wondering what the church fathers have to say about that um, seeming contradi contradiction between 1 Corinthians 11 and 14. Yeah. Oh. Uh, some do, some don't. <laughs> I, uh, I don't. I, I, uh, I listen. I don't think that they would disagree with this interpretation. I don't really do believe. For instance, if you read... St. John Chrysostom, St. John Chrysostom, his commentary on Ephesians and, uh, and, uh, and the chapter on, that he devoted to Ephesians 5. No modern scholars so highly speaks about man-woman relationship than St. John Chrysostom in this particular chapter. And uh, so in other words, there are some probably that would use this particular passage in the out, out of the context and try to impose the silence of women. I, I couldn't deny it. But I think the major fathers are much more sensitive to it. If there is a change in atmosphere that occurs in the later century, but not in the early centuries. Are you saying then that, I mean, that Paul's first goal was order, beauty, and distinction, yeah, yeah. and equality, not to say there was a divine mandate that women should always have their heads covered with beauty. Right, right. I think the full main order of business is really to establish equality and distinction between sexes. I think that is the most important things for him to do it. Distinction and equality, they are distinct but equal. Because that the most important text, the most important text that covers all others, 
text that serves as preamble to all points of view of the poll is Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. That is the most revealing text. Now, in this text, verse 27 and 28, uh, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Now, context is baptism. That is the verses that we hear even in baptismal liturgy. Right? For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on. That's context. And in the context of baptism, Paul says, there is a neither Jew nor Greek. There is a neither slave nor free. There is a neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. That is a Carta of Liberty. There is an, in other words, what Paul says, the, those one who are baptized in the Christ, there is a neither Jew or Greek. A racism is abolished. There is neither slave nor free. Submission to slavery. All social ranks are of no value in Christ. And neither male nor female, subordination of one sex to another sex doesn't exist anymore. The example that I gave to you in the Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 14 and all others are nothing else but example to support this particular text. The, the Equality of the, but distinction, ethnic, racial distinctions cannot be obliterated, but racism can be obliterated. The distinction, the uh, may, uh, distinct, sex, sex distinctions cannot be obliterated, but subordination can be obliterated. Subordination doesn't exist. In master and slave, in the slavery, social suppression. Can, can be obliterated, but distinction between the master and slave in that position cannot be. So, in other words, this particular text tells us what really Paul had in mind. The only application of this particular text we can understand him. In the context of the baptism, there is a neither male nor female, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no master and slave because you are all one in Jesus Christ. And that is a fundamental unity that baptism brings to all Christians. And that is what I said previously, the mystery of the sacramental unity and mystery of the Eucharist. When master and slave can participate in the same liturgy, singing together, and participating in the meal together. That is a miracle that made Christianity completely distinct from any other religion in the, that sea of the religions of the Greco-Roman world. So then tomorrow we shall continue. If, I will, if you have any questions, you simply, if you are ready to ask any question, I will be ready to answer. The one thing I would like to tell you, 
there is no silly questions. There is only silly answers. That's all. Yes. And yes. yet, I don't see a lot of women ministering. Yes, yeah, that's now, and that, would you address that? Right, right. I think that the churches are very much concerned about it, right? There are lots of meetings going on. I know some of, I, I was learning from my students, female students, they are attending some international conference of all Orthodox, and they're discussing precisely those problems. And there is a possibility for the revival of the ancient diaconate, right? But, and the, the, the ancient diaconate is a very extremely important form of the ministry in the church, right? So definitely that is very much on the mind on the, on the many people in the church. And uh, not only on the mind, but uh, the act, there are some activities in that direction. Yes? Dr. Kessich, could you speak even further than and say, in these discussions, in the revival of the ancient diaconates, yes. what would be the, the contraposition today? Or what would be no. the voice of those no, who I say think the, it no. doesn't apply yeah. or it does apply? Right. Don't some people always say, you know, because we didn't have it for so long time, why do, should we have now, right? right. But uh, that, that's not argument, right? It's because uh, the, then you have to answer the question, why? Be, didn't have it for so long period of time, because feeding orphans, distributing the Eucharist to the people who, for the worthy reasons, who are not able to attend the churches. And so, I was, I was reading, I was reading the recently uh, uh, some text from the second century, and I was so much surprised how important role the deacons play in the second century church. For instance, or even they distributed the Eucharist. They, no, you have a presiding officer of the Eucharist, but distribution of the Eucharistic uh, uh, body and blood of Christ, they, they are more important than the presbytery and so on and so forth, right? So, and uh, they are taking care about, uh, the deaconesses taking care about widows, right? Or orphans, in addition to that, visiting them, serving them, serving in the church, reading. For instance, St. Vladimir's Seminary, the women uh, the reading in the church, and uh, the, every, every, every uh, Vespers, somebody has tried to deliver a sermon, right? Homilies, they are being trained to do that. You know. So all these things are, I think, moving in that direction, that women should play more active role. Because the experience of Orthodox Church is uh, very interesting. When church was in the trouble, who saved the church? Uh, men, like uh, at the crucifixion, men left and women stayed. <laughs> I, I, uh, I was talking with a man who was very well acquainted with the position of Russian church when Bolshevik system took the power and when they tried to eliminate, they completely ruined, they destroyed the church. And who remained in the church faithful? Women. And without Russian women, who knows what would happen with the Russian church? So that's all this history points in a different direction than some people in think that what should be done or should not be done. 
Thank you.